Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for Health Talks with Dr. Trim. The one show, maybe the only show that shows you the path to a healthier, happier life. One conversation at a time. Or in today's case, maybe it's one trip at a time. Because today we're going to trip out with a bunch of students who did something most students normally do. They got up early. They took a long plane ride. They drove up into the middle of nowhere and they helped people. What do you think of that, Dr. Trent? Do you believe it? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe we're dreaming all this. I think so. I, I can't believe this is the me first generation. This is the slackers and hackers, the people who can't get off the couch. You're telling me <laughs> they got off the couch and they went out and actually helped save the world a little bit here? <laughs> Definitely. These folks are great. And I've had an awesome opportunity to get to know each one of them over uh, the past two weeks here. All right, so set us up, Dr. Trin. What the heck just happened? Where did you go? And what did you do? So as you know, Pa, with tongue out, we are- First of all, everybody has to stick their tongue out right now for the whole camera here. <laughs> nobody did it. <laughs> and nobody stuck their tongue out. <laughs> yeah, great right. tongues, guys. Great tongues. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect for video. But anyway, we haven't gone anywhere since the pandemic. Right. And uh, so prior to the pandemic, we're probably in about four or five different countries every year. So this is our first trip since everything closed down. Right. And this was an amazing trip. So where'd you go? We went to Vietnam. Vietnam. And you didn't go to just the big cities and have them go out to discotheques every night here, or whatever they call them, I don't know, clubs. They don't call them discotheques anymore. No, no. Yeah, we went all over Vietnam from north to south to middle to highlands. We squeezed it all within eight days or so. And our awesome uh, young folks here are going to kind of share their story, I guess, and kind of share their experience. And all right. Debrief. Before we we're get to that. To like, we're planning to do a debrief with the big group, but we right. might as well debrief here. On Let's OC do it. Let's do it. So before we bring in some of the students here, we got four of them today that joined us. How many, give us an idea, how many, how many days you went, how many students? Give me some specifics, and then we'll ask them what they experienced. Tell me about the group. How many uh, days did you go? How many people went? The majority of us left on June 30th, and we had a few that went a day earlier, and then we came back as a group on July. When do we come back, guys? July. This is a test. Can I see if they're awake this morning? July 8, 9? It was the 9th. It was midnight. It was midnight. That's all she remembers. It was late. Yeah, whatever it was, it was late, close to midnight. So we've just been home for a few days. How's that? All right. And how many people went? Last question before we 20 jump. 20 plus. 20 plus. I think the total, probably around 25. And numbers keep changing, right? Because we have uh, volunteers in Vietnam and they come and go and we're not sure it's part of the official count. But yeah, well okay. over 25. <laughs> well, a bunch, whole bunch of people. All right. So let's go around the clock here in our lineup here. We got Abby first. Abby's been on the show. You've been on the show before, right? No, my sister has. Your sister has. I remember the last name. Doesn't your dad, remind me what your dad is like a researcher or something? No, I think you've only met my sister, Isabel. She went on this trip a couple of years ago and now she's in med school. That was it. Okay. All right. So you're the younger of the two. What yeah. drew you to this? She had gone before and you said, I got to follow in her footsteps or you just thought this would be, I got a week, I got a week to kill. What the heck here? 
Yeah, it was partially because my sister went a couple of years ago. Also, Mia, who's on here now, we've been really good friends since seventh grade, and her parents are involved with Tongue Out. So that's how Isabel got to go the first time, and then once I was old enough, I wanted to go myself. Now tell me why. Let me put it this way. When you go back and tell your friends what you did, don't they say, why? I guess they would. I love to travel. I've always loved traveling, so seeing someplace new has always been super appealing to me. I've never been anywhere in Asia, so that was a really cool experience. But also, I do a lot of volunteer work here, but I wanted to see how I could take that somewhere else, because I do really enjoy it. Have we misrepresented your generation? We think of them as me, me, self-centered, in the moment, can't focus, group ADD, nobody can think about anything more than a few seconds here. And yet I see more and more through Dr. Trin, people who are volunteering, people are doing amazing things. You guys are curing cancer as a, as a summer project here, or whatever you're doing. You guys were, you went to, what did you see when you went there? Give us a quick summary of some of the things that's right off the top of your head sticks out. Sure. Some of the main volunteer work we did, we visited three orphanages while we were there, brought them toys and supplies and played with them, all the kids for a while. That was super heartwarming. I really enjoyed that. We also visited a leprosy colony. A leprosy and colony. Let's stop right there. Leprosy. I thought Dr. Trin leprosy was from a hundred years ago. Is leprosy still alive in some of these countries? Yes. Still alive, still getting new diagnosis, especially in the third world wow. where folks don't have access to health care and they don't even know what leprosy is until the diagnosis. Wow. Because so, yes. we think of this as uh, the famous stories. I'm an Irish Catholic. That's why I have an Ireland t-shirt on here today. I think of Father Damien and his leprosy colony in uh, Hawaii. I forget which island it was on. Molokai, I remember. And this was just horrifying. This is, goes back to biblical images of lepers being thrown out of the community because everybody's so terrified they're going to get it and their arms and their legs and their fingers are all going to fall off. Is it still got that stigma, Dr. Trin? Are people still frightened of it like they were for centuries? Yeah, absolutely. And for that reason, the government, whether you're still contagious or not, the government will still isolate you into the colony and keep you in there until you pass away. Uh, until you pass away. So it's a death, I mean, it's a sentence for life. You are shunned and thrown in, driven out of the community and we'll give you some place to live, but don't ever come back. Absolutely. Wow. All right, so Ming, what did you think when you saw a leper colony? Did you even know leprosy was still alive in the world? No, it was totally something in the textbooks up till then. And it's so incredible that they lock these people up in here. They can't leave. And they didn't know it was a curable disease until recently. But even so, just because of the social stigma, they're yeah. being forced to kept in there. There was one leper that we met, which was absolutely surreal. He was part of their military. He was part of the Vietnam military. And he was about to be deployed in the U.S. So he learned English. He, he got connected. He got everything. And right before he was about to be sent out, they found that he had leprosy. And so that would have been his ticket out, out of the country. But they found his leprosy. So they sentenced his colony. And he's been there since, I think, for 30-something years. I don't, I don't know if any of you... Um, 30 years, so... 30-something years, yeah. Maybe someone can correct me on that. But he's still there. He speaks perfect English. And it's almost like conversing with an American, except he's missing a couple 
fingers. I think he's missing a, a foot. And he's keeping up to date with the news, too. He's got radio. He's got television. But the thing is, they can't leave. And it's so weird that people are just like you and me and they're, are being kept here. And people don't visit them again because of the social stigma. So yeah. Who's going to uh, go to a leper colony? I'm sorry, my cousin, my friend, my child is in a leper colony, but I'm not going. It's I'm not going to risk getting it. They have to live apart as they have since biblical times and before, driven out of the communities to live somewhere on the margins. All right, so Mia, you've been there before. Was it anything different this time? Does it just remind you what's happening in the other side of the world, or did you see something different this time? I actually have not been there before. But oh, my, okay. My I assume that because you because uh, Abby said your parents are involved in, so I assume they dragged you along before. But no. yeah, this was actually my first time going with my parents, so it was definitely a shocker and very humbling. Honestly, I didn't expect so much of the stigma to still be alive. Obviously, and the fact that even the children—if you were the child of a leper—you were still allowed to go to school, but no kids would play with you. You yeah. wouldn't ever be invited to people's houses. So really, you are in the same situation. And is that true, Dr. Trin? Is it that transmissible if I even touch one? These are like in India, a cast of untouchables almost. I can't touch them. I can't hug them. I can't ever come in contact with them because I'll catch it. Is it really that is it really that's, that? the, um, that's the common belief, but it's not true. Leprosy is an infection where the bug is actually in the same family as tuberculosis. So it's actually airborne rather than uh, the contact, just like TB is airborne. But it's actually very treatable with a course of antibiotics. The success rate is super high. The problem is the fear of lepers in the fact that they don't have fingers and, and feet and they get these dry gangrenes and infection. So people think that if you touch it, you're you're infected and all that. But it is very treatable after a course of antibiotics. So Barry, did you recoil at all? Did you pull back when these people want to run up? and uh, do, First of all, do they want to run up and touch you? Or do they recognize that nobody wants to touch them? And how do you react to them when you see them the first time? Tell us I mean, the truth. <laughs> Come on, tell us the truth. It's definitely a lot different seeing it in person. I didn't know about what we were to expect a little bit in advance. My parents and my brother had done this trip before, so I had heard a little bit about what they had done. But it's a lot different seeing them in person. And for them, a lot of them, they didn't necessarily run up to you because a lot of them are, some of them don't have limbs anymore so or they're paralyzed. So a lot of them are kind of, wheelchair bound or they're bed bound so a lot of the times we had to be the ones to go up to approach them and so a lot of them are recipients to touch you know a lot of them are open to hugging to holding hands if they still have hands and so and a lot of them like to take pictures with us and because we would be able to print them out and share them with them so they could have pictures of us and them afterwards and so I think just knowing that a lot of these people are, you know, haven't been touched probably in a really long time by somebody who wasn't a caretaker and knowing that they probably haven't felt that in a long time, it made me feel okay to, you know, go up and touch someone who isn't going to get me sick despite that stigma. And I hate to admit it, but I'd probably be one of the first I'd want to touch, but I'd probably recoil if I saw they had no finger or foot. And I'd probably fall back to those stereotypes myself. And I wonder, I'm afraid to touch people today because I'm going to get COVID, much less leprosy. What do you think, Abby? Any hesitancy to embrace these people? 
does it take you? Do you have to force yourself to say, no, wait a minute. I, they're not uh, a threat no, there was me. no hesitancy for me. I was very happy to do it. They were very friendly people. You guys are much better people than I am here. I, I got to be honest. I would welcome the chance to help them. I wonder if I wouldn't fall into that same trap and pull back. Somebody reached out their hand with missing two fingers to me here. How about you, Ming? Any hesitation? No, I don't think there'd be any more hesitation than going out into Walmart and hugging a random stranger there. Yeah, um, right. I think the definite hardest part was overcoming just, you've never met this guy before, but you're going to give him a hug and you're going to say everything's going to be okay. You're going to hand them that red envelope that oh, we hand out red envelopes that says, hey, we're here for you. You know, that, those two fingers that are missing, that doesn't really matter. All the, their faces look the same and their living sort of the same. They're people inside. They still got the same dreams and hopes. What's it like, Dr. Trin, not to be touched for years? I've read about orphanages. We'll talk about you went to an orphanage, too. That in many orphanages, because there's simply so many kids to ha take care of, that many of them never get hugged, touched, ever, or rarely. What's that do to your psyche if nobody ever holds you or hugs you? We know from a science perspective and from a medical and health perspective that the lack of uh, touch, the lack of just being validated for who you are definitely leads to mental health issues, right? Not just in adults, but especially kids and babies. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and so imagine just spending the last 30 years of your life in a colony where nobody wants to see you. You're not wanted in society. And this is actually the, the exact reason why we go specifically to these leprosy colonies is that we believe that there is a human value from just being who you are without necessarily your degree, your bank account, or what you can do or how many fingers you have, right? That we believe that there's a God who loves you. And so that, it's not just about sending money. It's not just about bringing, this is a medical mission mostly. So you're there to, I guess, what do you do? Administer shots or checkups or other sorts of things for people who haven't had their teeth checked or haven't had a booster shot for something. What kinds of work do you do when you go there other than hug them and yeah, it depends on the specific areas. So we did medical clinics when we were there. We distributed a number of wheelchairs at the leprosy colony. They're not really wheelchairs. They're like tricycle type wheelchairs specific to those who have leprosy. In other areas, we did eye surgeries for the blind from cataracts. So it depends on the location. But definitely, it's more than just providing a vitamin or even providing sight to someone who's blind. We go there because we want to show them that they're loved. That's, that's the key. I mean, just the fact that you came, what is it? A couple, must be a couple thousand miles or something. This it would take, must be a 14, 15 hour flight when you get there and then you drive up into the highlands and all these other remote areas. How long does it take to get there, Abby? What's the journey like getting there? Some of our group had two layovers, so three planes to get to Vietnam. I personally only had two. And I believe combined the flights, it was 14 hours. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 14 hours there. And then how long does it take once you're there? You got to get in what? A van, a bus, a Jeep? What do you, what yeah, do, you do? And we were traveling every day or every other day to different locations. And it was sometimes a short plane ride or we, we often were in a bus, the whole group. But Ming, you guys are all young. 
you're not used to this kind of regiment of rounding everybody up and doing something here. Does it, is it difficult to round up all the kids every morning and wake them up? Come on, it's time to go. Like, oh, I don't want to go. Can't we just stay in <laughs> She said it's a lot of traveling. You called couch potatoes earlier. It's just yeah. one house to another, right? <laughs> when, you, when you get up from your chair, you're just on your way to sit down again eventually. You're going to sit down at some point. Oh, man. But there's um, no vid. There must be no Wi-Fi or anything. What do you do? You must, my grandson would be going nuts. Where's the video? Where's the YouTube? Where's the games to play here? That's there- interesting. Right? So yeah, I didn't have reception there because cricket doesn't support Vietnam. I basically didn't have Wi-Fi except for the few hours of downtime when we got to the hotels. But when you're there, you don't need Wi-Fi. You know, all the entertainment's there already. You you're seeing a new place. You're seeing new people, and these are totally different experiences that you wouldn't get. If you didn't come on the trip with us, Leprosy Connolly, who, again, as you said, who's going to visit a Leprosy Connolly? Who's going to get a shirt? Because I hugged a leper today. Yeah, that's, right. That's another thing. I think you should have a shirt like that, Dr. Trent. I hugged, have you hugged a leper today here? People would look at you like you're Looney Tunes. Do we have a shirt like that? You, you've met Jerry Houston, and he was talking about yeah. making a shirt like that. He should. Jerry's been on the show before. I mean, that what a powerful statement because most of us think leprosy is one of those ancient biblical diseases that isn't around anymore. That was the assumption. Didn't they shut down Father Damien's leper colony, famous one in Hawaii? And I don't think any of these. I personally don't think leprosy. I don't think of leprosy as a current modern disease. Uh, it doesn't it, sound like it, no. Is it still prevalent, Dr. Trin? Is it expanding, growing, or is it on its way out like many other diseases have been wiped out through the years? Hopefully it should be. We should see less and less of it as the nations become more westernized and developed. But currently in the third world, it still exists. So still alive and well. Wow. All right. So Mia, when he said no Wi-Fi, no online access, I saw your eyes get really big. Do you spend a lot of time online and what was it like to get off? At home, I do spend a lot of time online. My eyes went big because I thought he was being funny. But um, (laughs) honestly, it was not a problem when we were there because honestly, you were so just involved with what we were doing and being with these people who were essentially strangers and really living with them for 10 days and doing all of this kind of charity work and volunteer work was a new experience that you don't get every single day and it was honestly it was great it was it was good to kind of detox away from that stuff and live in the present and it was yeah it was good it didn't bother me all right barry she's smirking a little bit there any withdrawals from the internet was it worth the trip to go there and see real life as opposed to online life Oh, no, it was well welcomed. I'm so glad to get away from being online um, all the time. So it, it was nice to really be there. And like Mingwei was saying, you know, all the entertainment is there. So you don't really need to really be on your phone when we were out and about. There's so many, there's so much beautiful scenery and so many beautiful things to do. And while we were helping these people, we didn't really need to have our phones to be doing anything besides taking pictures. So did you all know each other beforehand or did you all just meet for the first time? We'll start with Ming here. Did, did you guys know each other? Abby and Mia were friends since seventh grade or something, but the rest of you guys know each other? No, not really. On this trip, I really only knew one person. That was my professor that went with us. And everyone else, I, I met maybe five or six more people. We had a gift distribution because we were bringing gifts to orphanages and they needed to spread that out among our teams so they could get through check-ins 
And I met maybe five or six of them in Irvine a couple of days before the trip, but that's about it. But it's just that people on this trip are so interesting. Just aside from wanting to come and meet lepers, we have so many doctors. We have so many serial entrepreneurs on this team as well. We have some amazing people and that makes it really easy to connect with them. And, and Give me some of, examples. Are, are, is it all just young people? Is it people of every age? I Ming, mean, who did you, no, who did you uh, So, yeah, we did kind of split up into young people and the old people group. I would uh, think so. The young people start hanging out with each other and the old people are like, I don't know what to say to these kids. Come on over here and help me. Yeah. <laughs> Come help me with this box. No. Yeah, right. Uh, we had, I think, five young people. I would say that that's below 30 years old. And a couple of us just got off college. We have uh, Abigail and Mia who are just high school. And uh, I think Barry's out of college for a few years as well. And then the age group, you know, parents age 30 through 50. So when you go back to where you're all from Orange County here somewhere, where you live in just the city, Ming, where you live in? Mm, I'm, in I'm from Fullerton. Fullerton, okay. I think we're uh, kind of centered around Irvine because that's where a lot of our doctors are coming from. I was going to say, I don't know why, but uh, Irvine seems to be a common place that other guests have come from. It's kind of the center of the county and then Dr. Trin's in the medical world. It's the center of all the hospitals, seem to be four or five hospitals in Orange County are all in Irvine. So I would expect most of you kind of have similar backgrounds. I'm wondering what it's like to get out of that similar world and see the real world that ain't nothing like Irvine or Fullerton. I'll start with Ming again, then we'll go around the block here. What was it like to see another world? You read about it. You see it on the internet. I can go see it anytime, but to be there. about third world country, that's Vietnam, right? When you're on the streets and you're seeing the shops look like this and the schools look like this. We have police stations every two blocks. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll give you one quick example. So I, I haven't been nearly around the world like Dr. Trin. A couple of times I went out of the country, mostly when I was like in my 20s. And yeah. I went to a third world country and got off the plane and there were machine guns everywhere. There were guards with machine guns everywhere. Where did you go? I went to actually Belize, a little sleepy little country in, in the middle of Central America. And the minute we got off, there were guards with machine Is guns. This during the Cold War, why are there machine guns? Uh, they had been invaded. Uh, there, were, there was threat of an invasion from uh, Guatemala. They had a border conflict going on. And so there was a, I didn't even know it. I just show up like a happy tourist and they're like all locked down. I mean, there's even going to Mexico a couple of times, you know, it was felt like, when you go way off the beaten path, I remember a cop came up and tried to extort me. He wanted to stop. To, I had to give him money just for nothing. And I started saying, this ain't Kansas anymore. This ain't America. My first reaction is, well, that can't happen. Anything can happen. This is not America, you know? Not America is a great way to describe it because it starts to sound like it's happening in all sorts of countries. Half my family's from Malaysia. And that's something we call copy money. Copy money. And basically the policeman will stop you and... We'll, we'll, won't hassle you. Just give us a few bucks. Yeah, for just give us a few coffee. bucks for some coffee. And you just go, this, I'm an American. This can't happen. You're like, you're not in America. Like who's stopping this guy? I know, but in Vietnam, this happens too, apparently. On the last trip, we had people that got stopped and they'll usually stop the old people from the, for the coffee money. Because right, because we got money. Yeah, we must have money. We're there. What do you think, Abby? Was it was there any culture shock? I mean, I know there's a poverty that's that's hard to grasp. You just drive across the border into Tijuana, and it's always hard to fathom that close. And yes, there's poverty all around. So I can take you around Orange County and show you poverty too. But 
somehow there's a different appearance to it in these other countries. It's prominent. It's a big feature of it. Any culture shocks for you that when you landed in Vietnam? I mean, it's definitely a different culture than the United States, but it wasn't, when I got off the plane, it wasn't this huge shock. Like I said before, I've been to Africa and stuff, so I've I've seen it's pretty different too. Yeah. Right. So it was definitely different, but not an uncomfortable situation. How about you, Mia? Any culture shock when you got off the plane? First of all, it's supposed to be very hot and humid. Is it very hot and humid this time of year, Dr. Trend? It seems like Vietnam always has this impression of being oppressively humid. Definitely warmer here than here in Orange County. Yes, very humid as expected. Kind of like jungle. Maybe yeah. Florida. Yeah. It's a jungle everywhere. So what, Mia, any culture shock when you got like, whoa, I wasn't ready for this. I am personally half Vietnamese. So some of the cultures were recognizable. And I was like, oh, we do that back at home. But it's not the U.S. But it wasn't, like Abigail said, it wasn't uncomfortable at all. It was, if anything, very interesting and very intriguing. I love learning about different cultures. And I think it's really fascinating how different people do the same daily tasks just differently. So that was kind of cool to see. How about you, Barry? Any culture shock? She's she's ready for anything. I can tell. Drop me in anywhere here. Yeah, I'm actually from LA County. So my background is a little bit different from everyone else here. And it's not, even though it's my first time going to Vietnam, I have been to other Southeast and East Asian countries, but each country that I've been to has been a little bit different. I think the thing about Vietnam that I wasn't necessarily expecting is there's a lot of parts that were a lot more, not necessarily as third world or a lot nicer than I would have expected. But even the parts that are a little bit more rural and more poor, a lot of the areas were very, really well kept. And like some other people were saying, you know, it was very hot and humid there, but it's still a very pleasant environment. There's a lot of beautiful scenery and a lot of beautiful people there as well. And don't they just drive like mad? I picture people all on little motorbikes just going any way they want to, like so many of these in Thailand and other places. The light is just there as a suggestion. Don't You don't really have to stop at the red light if you don't want to. Is that the way it is? is it yeah, crazy it certainly like is. <laughs> people drive without observing the signals. I'm surprised there aren't more car accidents there, but it seems like the signals are more of a guidance rather than a, a thing to necessarily yeah, follow. I've heard that kind in, of in Thailand, people just say, whenever. they go anywhere they want to go or Malaysia or places where they just literally that's just, I know that's a red light, but that doesn't really mean I have anything. a question. What are some of the other experiences that stood out to you guys besides the leprosy colony? Okay, we'll go around the block with Abby. Quick reaction. What's your one memory you can't get rid of? The orphanages for me, specifically the third one we went to, because I'm just in high school. I don't have a medical background. So the humanitarian work was really more impactful. I felt like I could do more there. Wow. So, what, what, and what image? Tell me, if, was there a kid you saw? Was there somebody standing in a corner? You just, I can't get that kid out of my head here. Yeah. So the first and the third orphanage that we went to, we got to really play with the kids. And the first one, there was a, a lot of babies there and we were all holding the babies and playing with them. And I was holding this one little guy who I never got the name of, but I was holding him for a long time. And he was really fun, really happy, really playful. So that, that's someone I'll really remember from this trip. I'll tell you once, I went to an orphanage once a long, long time ago, and you go up to these kids and how are you? And some little kids playing with a toy. And I made the mistake. I said, what's your, what's your doll's name? And the kid looked at me and said, I don't name my dolls. And I, said, <laughs> and I went back and looked at somebody and said, why? They said, because there's no connection. They're afraid somebody's going to take away the doll tomorrow. I don't want to get too connected to it and give it a name. 
they've been taken away from everybody. It was kind of a symptom of all this. There's no attachment. I'm not going to get too attached to you or even to this doll because I might not come back tomorrow. Any of that? I mean, it's a real different world. These kids are growing up without anybody. Yeah, I kind of expected when I set him back down in his crib for him to like cry or, you know, not not want us to leave. But he was, he just seemed happy to have had the, the time that we that we did have. Same with the other kids, the older kids. They were excited when we got there and excited when we left. So I think they allowed themselves to have fun, but they might not have made the, the huge connection, which which makes sense. But it was definitely super impactful while we were there. Mia's nodding. What stood out for you? Any moments that you can't get rid of? I would agree. The orphanages were really one of the big events of the trip. And really watching people interact and bond with even just the babies. The first orphanage was personally my favorite. It was just so heartwarming, especially to see my mom who kind of thrives in these situations. She loves people and truly just held and connected with every single baby there. And it was just such a good experience to like hold these children who didn't have the same don't get held life that we started with. Yeah. No. Don't get held. When they graduate from high school, there's nobody if whatever there is, whatever accomplishment they have in life, there's nobody standing in the corner applauding saying, attaboy, that's my girl. They're on their own. What about you, Barry? It doesn't have to be the orphanage. Anything that stands out in your head, you're like, wow, there's something I can't get that image out of my head here. I think one that's different that we haven't discussed already is when we went to the Highland Villages in Tuihua. Um, One thing that we also did besides food distribution and toy distribution at the village center, we actually went to the homes of some of the people who couldn't make it out into the village center. They're either homebound for whatever reason. Some of them were really old or some of them had families of really young children and couldn't come out. And so it was really nice to go out to be able to see what kind of homes they lived in. We've never seen pictures of their houses before. They're basically little wooden huts and they're kind of elevated off of the ground with a little ladder kind of step unit to kind of walk up to them. Probably for rain or whatever. Yeah, probably for rain or flooding. And so with Dr. Tran and some of the other Vietnamese speaking team members, we were able to talk to them and get to know a little bit about their life stories and how they live their lives. And so it was really interesting to be able to just, you know, spend time with them and converse with them and learn um, about who they were and how they lived their lives. So Dr. Trent, on one of these previous trips, I don't remember which one, had somebody come on and talk about the lives of these children in these Highland villages, many of whom never go to school because there is, for a lot of reasons, they got to work, they gotta, they're trying to survive, they got to go get water, they got to do something. But for many of them, there is no school nearby. So those that do get lucky enough to go to school, their parents say go, they walk for like a day. And it's so far, if I'm not mistaken, Dr. Trent, they stay over. Yeah. Yeah, they live at the school during the weekdays because it's too far to go back home. And we actually had a chance to go see a school and we funded a, a water well at one of the schools. Wow. There you go. With, uh, we've got UC Irvine's name on it and, uh, cool. and all that. So what do you think of that, Ming? Can you imagine? Tell your friends that we got to go to school tomorrow and we got to walk hours and hours and hours to get there so far that we really can't get home tonight. We're going to stay all week at the school. Hey, and go back I can to relate school. to stay all week. I've been through college. <laughs> kind of like college, yeah. <laughs> college, but for an eight-year-old, boarding school in a sense. So what sticks out in your mind, Ming? We've heard about well, the villages. We've heard about orphanages. I yeah. I didn't see the kids from the orphanages walk. I don't know if they go to school. 
I don't know what they do. But I don't know what they do. Yeah. Actually, maybe maybe Doctor Kin can answer. Do you, Do you know if they go to school and what do they do? If you're in an orphanage or you're in a leper colony, what do kids do all day when you're have nobody? Yeah, it depends on their age, but the kids at the orphanage. There is a local school there. If they're at the age where they're, they're school bound, yes, they, they do walk over to school and walk back. And do kids treat them differently? Because you got no parents, you got no mom. You, kids always tease each other, whatever, whatever weakness they can find. Kids love to tease each other. I would bet they get in fights or something simply because they're orphans and people make fun of them or laugh at them. Kids being cruel. I don't know why kids are so. Maybe maybe that's just my life. But kids always were cruel. You know, not every kid, but there, there, there's kids tease without realizing them what they're saying. What do you? So Ming, what stood out for you? Mm, well, back to you. What what's the image you can't get out of your head every time I think of orphanages? No one's talked about this, but the second orphanage. Yeah, um, nobody. Everybody like the first and the third. What was wrong with the oh, second? I don't orphanage? like the first one. They're babies. They don't talk to you. They, they, <laughs> I don't know who you are. You you think they're cute? They don't think you're cute. Um, but Mink's telling it the way it is. Ah, babies. What do they know? Right. <laughs> Nothing. The second one was a, a Buddhist pagoda. It was, it was a Buddhist temple, and it was monks taking care of. I think 150. No, there there's 90 at the time, but there's usually more. I think there were around 90 orphans, and they're locked down because COVID hit them pretty hard. I think it killed one of their cooks. So when we came by, they're like, no, 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 but but three of us, me and the, uh, they're not on the, the, the call right now, but we went into the orphanage before they, they realized we were there, and we walked into the back, and just imagine your bed mattress, but you take off the mattress, yeah. and you see those wooden bars going right. across. Right. They were sleeping on that. At least thirty or forty kids. It was um. It's got to be eighty-five degrees. It's humid in there, and you got orphans um, ranging from maybe six through ten years old, just laying across these bars like hot dogs, and they can't sleep. They're rolling around like they hot dogs. Poisoned. But there's an image I can't get out of my head: kids laying on a wooden grill like a hot dog. Well, it's hot like a hot dog, and they're laying down like one too. They got toys there, yeah, and, and they're trying to have fun. They're at the age where they're supposed to be out playing yeah. but they're stuck in an orphanage and they don't know where to go which is kind of where i ask why or what are they doing are they going to school and they were so excited to see us because people have been there before we've sent people there before and they remember they got things on the shirts they know street fighter they know more street fighter than i do <laughs> we had one guy going with the street fighter shirt it was ken ryu and one other guy they were able to identify all three how, how did you know that? I was struck by that once. Again, I went to Belize, which is kind of a third world country, and out way off of the, past the resorts. And kids would have shirts like L.A. Lakers. I'm like, where did like, you get an you L.A. Lakers, Lakers shirt? Or, yeah, you know who the Lakers are? And you're in the middle of the jungle somewhere here? I don't know. Is it a world culture, Dr. Trin? Are we just exporting? Is that what we're exporting the world? Everybody knows Coke and the L.A. Lakers and Street Fighters here? Everyone wants to to be American, uh, no matter where you're at. We're like the utopia, right, of where everyone should be. And yeah. so, what happens to these kids when they grow up? Even in this country, we've talked about in this show just a couple of times. Touching my only daughter was adopted out of foster care in East LA. She was basically an orphan. She was abandoned. They didn't die, and she was dropped off and. She was actually brought into the country illegally from a little village in Mexico, passed around, beat up, treated more like a servant and a slave, finally fell into foster care. 
after uh, she went to school and she, her ribs were broken and somebody noticed it. She'd never been to school. And uh, suddenly she's plucked out of this only place she knows. And now she's passed around through foster care till we found her. And she's my daughter. She's now 30 and got her own kids here. But that life experience of not having anybody, of not knowing what you're going to do tomorrow, of having no physical connection with anybody and just feeling like you're on, you're a street kid, you're on your own. What happened, even in this country, most of the kids that age out of foster care go nowhere, which is why so many of them turn into drugs and right, alcohol right. and everything. Cause there's, when they come out, it's like getting out of prison to give them a hundred bucks and say, sorry, we tried. Nobody wanted to. And that's the way they enter life. What happens to They're these lost. kids? Yeah. yeah. Jerry and I were walking through the pagoda and we noticed as the kids got older and older, I mean, this goes up to 18 years old. Right. Their smiles started disappearing. You know, you the younger ones, they were really happy. They got hope. Well, they don't know what hope is. They're, they're just happy. Right. But we think when the monks come in, they keep restricting them from doing stuff. And the older ones are totally underserved. You know, it's not that hard to please a 10-year-old. But when a right. 12 or a 13 or 15 or 18-year-old wants to do something, they can't. They're stuck in an orphanage. I wonder what the adoption rate is for, for these older kids, but I know this specific In this one. country, I will tell you, even in this country, the adoption rate plummets the older you it's get. You, low. Yeah, it's everybody wants a little, but we want a little baby. We want one of those little unbroken kids that hasn't been damaged. I, I don't want that one 10 over there. When we adopted our daughter, she was 11, and that was rare. It was only because we were older and we wanted somebody more, you know, age. No one wants a teenager. Nobody wants a teenager. You know. <laughs> I remember looking at a kid once and I don't think because we were trying to adopt and we saw a teenager and they give you books and all these things. Cute little kid, wonderful, up positive. He was like 16. I said, I can't start with a 16 year old. And I thought everybody must have that opinion. So you age out and you got nobody. I, I mean, you get me crying here, but, it, but what happens to these kids, Dr. Trin? Is it uh, like here? Does nobody adopt them? Yeah, there, there isn't a, a, you know, transition program, especially in third world countries. You don't get like job training to, yeah. to go out to the real world. You just kind of go out to the real world. And it's unfortunate. Uh, the kids that are in these orphanages are the actually, are actually the lucky ones. Yeah, I was going to say, because a lot of them are just street kids in third world. There yeah, is no orphanage. Lucky ones to actually make it into an orphanage. Imagine the kids who don't make it into an orphanage who needs help. Yeah, you're on the street yeah, uh, at eight trying to figure out how to survive and eat eat and, and take care of yourself. Yeah. yeah, not a lot of transition programs to uh, on how to transition to adulthood or it's a gap that needs to be solved. And so like in this country, when they turn 18, do they turn them out? At some point, yeah, because you don't see kids who are older than, you know, teenagers in these orphanages. So they, they go out to the real world. Wow. You ready to go out to the real world, Barry, at 16 or 17 with nobody helping you, guiding you, and you're on your own? Can you imagine that? Definitely not. And I think one thing that was interesting to learn about some of these orphanages is that some of them, they're there because their mothers dropped them off because they weren't able to take care of them. Wow. So one thing that a couple of these orphanages do is they try to keep them connected with their family since they know who they are and are hoping that eventually that their families would be able to take them back. So that's something I hadn't seen before at orphanages before. So that was something that was very interesting. My, da think my daughter was abandoned early on by her mother. Who it wasn't that she couldn't take care of her. She just didn't want to. I, nobody will know why, but that's the impression everybody got. I just don't want to, she had got other kids and it's a pain. And it's not just, gee, I would love to take care of you. I don't want to take care of you. 
we know from trying to communicate with some of the relatives back because we were worried that somebody's going to come back in the picture when you're going to adopt somebody and suddenly say, oh, I'll take them back. And the word was, nobody wants that. Can you imagine, Abby, if somebody said, nobody wants Abby? Abby, who wants Abby? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty unimaginable, especially because we're all very lucky here in Southern California, Tustin and Irvine, to have such great families and school districts and just everything is laid out for us. It's almost the opposite. They want all things for you. They give you everything. They guide you. We're going to go to school. You're going to do this. You're going to get good grades. I mean, they're they're very involved in your life. If there was nobody involved in your life, Mia, what would that be like? If somebody says, nobody wants Mia, but Mia, who wants Mia? It's definitely something that we can't really wrap our heads around in our environment, in our country. It's honestly so sad and just unimaginable and all the more reason for us to go out and visit these orphanages and spend time with them and spend and show genuine love and care because they don't get that a lot. Anybody want to take any of them home? That would be my fear. It's like going to the, this is a horrible analogy. So don't send your letters to me. I know, but it's sort of like going to the pound and you're seeing all these poor little puppies and start playing with them. And you're like, I want this one. You start playing with these little babies, Abby, and say, I'm going to take one of these home. Yeah. I think a couple of us did say that because they were just so sweet and genuine and it was, you know, heartbreaking to see them there without, I mean, they, they did have relatively good care and good facilities, but it's, it's not what we grew up with. So it is kind of like, oh, I wish I could take them all home, you know? But they're not so cute when they get to be 12, 14, 16, right, Ming? Not everybody, they're not little puppies anymore here. They're a big dog and everybody's now afraid of them or oh, that's a lot to take on. I think you said something interesting, Ming, that you didn't see as many smiles on the older kids as you do the younger kids. Did they start to realize what's ahead? They're no longer the frog in the well, right? Yeah. Eventually, the outer world takes them that way. We're not normal. We're sort of the outcasts. That's sort of a recurring theme with a lot of these missions, the leprosy center, the highland villages, and these orphans are people that no one really wants. And you were saying the adoption rate in the states are low. Well, imagine how it is for Vietnam. These people are struggling even more. Yeah. And the people have even less incentive to take in. Even someone who's younger than like eight or six or just a toddler, how do they have time to take care of it? These are people who are working in the fields. Right. On the first day we got there, we were up on the, I think it was 11th story or 17th story at the top. And we were looking down and on these rooftops are, are people, there, there's roofers, people with these hot hats and super hot, even at 10 a.m. They're, they're just building the roofs on the ground. You have people working in the rice paddies. And these are the sort of people we're expected to take in the orphans. I got enough problems on my own. I got to take in somebody else's problem here. I got right, to fix exactly. somebody else's problem here. So it just becomes even more hopeless for the older kids. And I can only hope that you know there's a good transition program for them into the real world, but it doesn't sound like there is. I encourage you all to go to one of these, like go to Orangewood or any of these things. You want to go see another volunteer because we all think, well, that's there, but not here. Go see the orphan kids here. Go see the uh, foster kids here. In the foster care system, the last figure I saw is there's a half a million kids or more in foster care right now at any given moment, half of whom will never go home to anybody. We pull them out of these horrible situations and we don't know what to do with them. And half of them become orphans themselves and have nobody. It's like the homeless. It's like orphans. It's, it's in the shadows, though. We don't see it in our face every day here, so we don't think about it. We don't, know. It's kept so far apart from everything else. It was a, quite a drive to the orphanage, too. So what do you think, Dr. Trin? What's your takeaway? Your takeaway is always hope. 
you seem hopeful every time you come back here that there is hope. Is it the story of the starfish? I tell this over and over again, the famous story of the starfish. You know this one, Dr. Trent? Kid's walking down a beach and he sees all these starfish wash up on the shore and they're all dying because they got to get back into the ocean. And some old man walks and he starts picking them up one at a time and throwing them back into the ocean. And the old man walks by and he says, what are you doing? There's thousands of them. You can't save them all. And the kid says, ah, but I can save this one. Is that what it's about? Just one tongue out, one saving one at a time? Absolutely. That's what it's about. Absolutely. Because, yeah, we can't save everyone. And, you know, there'll, there'll always be naysayers. Why are you spending so much money to go over there? And, uh, what can you do in a medical clinic that's long term? But if we can save one child at a time. For one day, we, for one moment, for one hug, for one. one we can bring vision to one blind person at a time. We can make a difference. And that's what we're about. One person at a time, one child at a time, one blind person at a time, one leper at a time. And that's our mission and our goal. Well, today you've shown me with four, not one, that there is hope for the future here. This generation isn't all about slackers and hackers and hanging out on the couch and what's in it for me in the immediate moment here. Here's four kids that got off the couch and traveled halfway in the round the world to hug a leper and to hold an orphan. My hat's off to you. I never did that. You guys are way ahead of me. So where will you go in the future? I can only guess. And it sounds more hopeful than I want to be most of the time. Most it's like, it's doom and gloom. It's the end of the world. The generation behind us, oh, they're worse than the, we were. I'm wrong. You guys showed me four people at a time. I'm here. really happy to. And it's definitely an honor to be able to represent such a great organization. And then fly all the way across the world to do things like this and get these amazing experiences. Thanks to Dr. Shirley. Thanks to Paul for putting us on here. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for sharing. One more question. We'll go around the block real quickly. Abby. Would you go back and would you tell others to go? Yes, I would definitely go back and I'd definitely like to have others come with us. I think it's important to always go. Ming, what do you say to your friends is saying, come on, man, we're going to do this today. And you said, no, I'm going to Vietnam and hug a leper. Should they come with you? Yes, I think they should. I think a lot of my friends would enjoy that. All right, Ming, what do you say to your buddies here? I definitely recommend it. It was amazing. Mia, you're nodding yes. Absolutely. The language is not even a boundary in some areas. Yeah. Honestly, love is its, its own language. And I highly, highly suggest. Love is its own language. But I'm going to remember that one here. Me, Barry, anything to add to that? What would you say to your friends, your pals, your classmates? Yeah, anybody can come and serve and help take care of other people in need. You know, you don't have to have a medical background to go on a med this kind of medical mission trip. Like Mia said, you don't necessarily have to speak the language. There's other people who can help in any areas that you might be shortcoming with. All you need to do is come with love and being prepared to just help somebody else who might be less fortunate than you. I love it. Dr. Trin, if somebody wants to ride along the next time, give us a website. How do they do it? Tongueout.org. <laughs> That's it. And they have to stick their tongues out. Well, That's, That's it. it. That's a criteria. All right. So the last shot that before we go, everybody's got to do this, including Dr. Trent does this. Easy. Everybody's got to stick their tongue out. I'm going to count to three and we're all going to stick our tongue out. That'll be the last shot that we have on YouTube here. It's like the <laughs> Rolling Stones, you know, that famous cover, uh, the big tongue hanging out. All right, here we go. One, two, three, tongue out. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks so much for joining us here today. What an amazing story. You guys are amazing kids and amazing effort. Thanks. Thank you.
Well, there you have it, folks. If that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what will. Together we can get through this. You just got to join us each and every week for Health Talks. Here with Dr. Trin. Hear the most amazing stories and the most amazing people who are making a difference. One tongue at a time. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. .net, streaming live from our studios here at the University of California Irvine's Beal Applied Innovation Center.